0: That Triathlon Show, 176. Hey, what's up everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode I interview Professor Sebastian Chitko from the University of Saragossa. In addition to being an academic, uh, Sebastian is also an endurance sports coach with a particular focus on cycling and a passionate athlete himself, so we will talk about uh, topics from both an academic and scientific and also from a coaching perspective in today's interview. But first, big thanks to our sponsors Precision Fuel and Hydration. They help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and free online tools, education and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on the Precision Fuel and Hydration website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with their athlete support team. As a salty sweater myself, their highly concentrated electrolytes are super important to me in long workouts and races, and uh, I think there are no gels that are as good and easy to consume even in large quantities as the Precision Fuel gels. You can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to senate The senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique dryland swim trainer that allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming, as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work, including working your catch and your core activation, and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool. You can even use it to do activation work before a pool or open water swim, or to do swim bike brick workouts more easily. You can try the Senate risk free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back. And you can get a special TTS bundle, including the swim bench and a bunch of Senate training plans and on demand workouts on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's my interview with Professor Sebastian Schitko. Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Sebastian. How are you doing? Hi there, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fine. And you? <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, let's uh, start with an introduction. Who, who are you? Uh, t- tell us a bit more about yourself.
1: Okay. Um, I'm Sebastian Chitko. Uh, currently, I'm a lecturer at the University of Zaragoza, which is located in the north of Spain, in the Faculty of uh, Health and Sport Sciences. I'm also a, a researcher at the same faculty and I also have a small coaching business in which I coach mainly road cyclists.
0: Great, and uh, I think you've also uh, consulted with or worked with some some pro teams or pro cyclists. Anyways, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and and also tr- uh, triathletes, some triathletes and trail runners. I read on your website.
1: Yeah, I, I have. I currently coach some triathletes and trail runners, but uh, to be honest, like, uh, most of my coached athletes are, are cyclists.
0: All right, great. Um, so we have a few topics that we uh, that, that I uh, put in the in our document so that we can discuss today. And what first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, threshold concepts and FTP. And also via two max uh, because they all kind of let's say when you go to a lab like these are all things that you can measure or FTP you can measure uh, at home or on the road. But let's start with uh, training prescription. When you prescribe training, how do you do it? Do you do it based on some percentage or threshold or uh, or training zones that are anchored around thresholds or or what is your method?
1: Well, here I would. Um talk about two different topics uh, first would be um, all the low intensity work which will be for example at the start of the season or after an injury etc in these cases i like to use uh, uh, heart rate uh, based on uh, percentages of maximal heart rate uh, why because uh, in these cases it's it's easy to see how um, after a while the the power output associated to the same heart rate uh, is increasing okay why do i uh, do this this way because it's very difficult to test uh, the first ventilatory threshold for example with with the power output we we currently we don't have a method to do so so it's quite quite easy to do so with with heart rate uh, at the intensities that are located above that uh, uh, the things change uh, a little bit because it's very difficult to to measure um, not only VO2 max intensities but also threshold intensities with, with heart rate because this is an internal variable that varies a lot between different days, conditions, heat, humidity, etc. So in these cases, I I prefer to use power output, uh, but uh, you have to take into account that even in these cases, it's, uh, you need to set up uh, broad ranges of, of power output because even if you use FTP, uh, the thing is that FTP is not a, a stable marker. So for example, I have, I have tested this with my athletes and if you perform uh, three different FTP tests during the same week, you will, you will see three different power outputs associated to FTP. The, the, so in these cases, you know, you cannot say that your FTP is 360 watts because uh, that may be the case one day, but after two days may be different. Mm. I have seen, for example, 360 on Monday, 380 on Wednesday and 340 on Saturday. Mm. So when you are doing threshold ho- uh, work, that's what I'm, what, what I want to say is that you need to, to set up broad ranges. So, for example, okay, we're going to work uh, your threshold pace. Let's say from three hundred forty to three hundred eighty watts. So to be sure that you are working in, in that range, no. So that's that's how I I I do this work. And yes, I work uh, around percentages of FTP because I think that that's quite a, that's quite a good marker of sustainable performance. We have, we have done several papers on this topic and we have seen that mm, normally it's mm, the if you, if you set up your FTP according to the test suggested by Allen and Cogan, for example, uh, you have a marker of performance that can be sustained over 40 to 70 minutes uh, of time until exhaustion. So I think that's a quite good uh, margin, which is very similar to what you would find with the maximal lactate uh, stable state, for example. And a little bit um, below what you would find with the second ventilatory threshold or the respiratory compensation point.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, so that paper that you refer to is called "Time to Exhaustion at Estimated Functional Threshold Power in Road Cyclists of Different Performance Levels." Uh, it was really interesting. Actually, I have only read the abstract uh, because it wasn't. Uh, I couldn't find it, but I'll, I'll ask you for a, a copy later. But uh, but in, in the abstract, you can still see the results and. And and I think that the kind of not trained people, the that don't really train, they were doing was it thirty five to forty minutes, and and uh, then the kind of trained cyclists forty to fifty minutes, uh, or no, sorry, was it forty minutes, forty to forty five, and a uh, very well trained fifty minutes or so. So, but but you had some people that were doing up to seventy minutes there. Uh, so when when you say the uh, that you follow the. Uh, Hunter Allen and Andrew Cogan protocol uh, is that? Do you mean the exact protocol, including also the five minute all out test in the warm up? And yeah, yeah,
1: that's very important because um, in the recent years we have seen lots of papers who who say that oh, uh, FTP performed uh, as suggested by Allen and Cogan is not correct, blah blah blah. The fact is that uh, when you take a look at these papers, you see that they have just done a twenty minute interval. Mm. Of course, of course, a uh, twenty-minute interval uh, won't reflect as well the sixty-minute power as if you perform the all the suggested uh, warm-up intervals before the twenty-minute interval. Because yeah. you know, for example, you, you have a five-minute interval which is all out, and that generates lots of fatigue. Yeah. That will that will um, provide a reduced power output during the twenty-minute interval which, in fact, will correlate better with 60-minute power. Mm. So that's very important when, when we are talking about this protocol, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And so so if you come back to the prescription of, let's say, threshold training or anything higher than the first lactate like, or ventilatory threshold, then would you, would you, with all your athletes, do multiple FTP tests to get an idea of the variation? Or, or is that just something you did for experiment with some athletes? And would your normal protocol be to do one? ftp test and then you would uh take a range let's say you do let's say you coach me and i come to you and i do uh, 360 watts. One can dream. Uh, so and w- would you say that okay? Now you go and do your intervals at 320 to 360. So you take like that test result that I did and a bit lower, or how? How would you? How would you work? Yeah,
1: uh, the the thing I explained uh, earlier was just an experiment I did with some athletes of different levels. Uh, this is not published in in, in science, but um, it it it's important to support the fact that uh, you need to. To fix like uh, super broad ranges when you when you perform uh, threshold training, and as I told as as you told me, yeah, I will probably take the result of of a, of a test and twenty twenty five watts up and down, and that will be um, uh, the place where where I want you to work, no?
0: Mm. And what about if you go if you do VO two max uh, workout? So let's say five times four minutes or something like that how how would you prescribe that kind of workout
1: yeah to improve uh, vo2 max there are like two main types of intervals which have been studied in science and um, the first and the first one is like the, the classical forty twenties, which is 20 seconds almost all out then 40 40 seconds just under threshold uh, and then the the type of intervals that you have uh, proposed earlier no uh, this second type of intervals normally work, uh, as as we have seen in science, work uh, a little bit better. Uh, explained as time uh, spent at view to max intensity, which and here I raise a question because uh, this has not been studied. Uh, does this mean that if you spend more time at VO2 max intensity, it will it will automatically improve your VO2 max? We have not science to support to support that. Okay, it's it may seem logical. You say, okay, I I spend 20 minutes at this intensity; it's much better than spe- to spend 12 minutes. But we do not know that, that. Okay, so if you want to work your your to improve your VO2 max, I would definitely uh, go towards this type of, of intervals. But i'm not that sure that more is better here okay Mm.
0: yeah but but what is the prescription like would you like if you if you give a workout to one of your athletes do you say go as hard as you can for whatever the workout is or do you give a specific power number or something like that
1: yeah i i normally i look at the power curve i so for example imagine that we are working with three three minutes in intervals okay Mm. Uh, first you try to expand the time uh, spent at uh, this intensity. So, for example, longer intervals each time or uh, less uh, the same duration of session, but less uh, rest. And uh, once the availability of the athlete and the fatigue that the session generates doesn't allow you to uh, increase more the, the time spent at the view to max intensity, then you test and normally you will increase the power output. Okay. Mm. That's, that's the way, the way I, I do it.
0: Okay, and uh, coming back to the low intensity, so with the heart rate-based prescription, uh, what would the percentage of maximum, so you said that you do it with percentage of maximum heart rate, what kind of percentage do you use for that low intensity training?
1: Yeah, uh, here we have like uh, two different theories. There are people who set up a, a heart rate threshold, which in my experience varies a lot during the season. And there are other people like me who prescribe it according to the maximal heart rate, which also, in my experience, varies uh, a lot less during the season. Uh, normally, I take everything between sixty to seventy-five percent of maximal heart rate for this kind of work.
0: Mm. And uh, and uh, so that's a pretty broad range, and then the athlete can choose based on how they feel within within that range. Is that correct?
1: Uh, it yes, and. It varies a lot uh, according to each individual because you know there are people who who live in a surrounded by a terrain in which is it is difficult to sustain a, you know a, like it's if it's very montaneous it's very difficult to sustain you know like a exact same heart rate because you have up and downs etc. Mm. So in that cases the the range will be a little bit broader. And then you have people who are super like centred and have um, perfect terrain for, for this kind of work, then you can, you know, narrow the, the range a little bit.
0: Okay. And what, But would you narrow it based on other factors as well? Like if you know that some athletes maybe need to do their, their low intensity training a bit easier, maybe because they have high volume in totals, or would you then say, okay, 65%, but somebody with a busy job and not so much time to trade and they might do 70 to 75 or uh, would would that be a uh, factor?
1: Yeah, of course. Each each prescription must be individualized because in the end, there are like two main factors that will determine what kind of training you perform with athletes. And these two factors are first, uh, what is the objective? Because, you know, the, the training for an Ironman won't be the same as the training for a Criterium race, for example. The, the amount of low intensity work that you need to do in these two cases is totally different. And second factor for me is the most important for all amateur athletes, which is the availability. Okay, so uh, yes, of course, if you have twenty five hours per week to train, uh, of course you can perform eighty percent of your time at uh, zone two. Yeah, but that's not that's that's not the case in you know in most amateur athletes. Uh, they they have like eight hours or ten. So in that cases, you know, you, you need to to up a little bit the intensity if you want results
0: Hmm. and uh and coming back to the to ftp again and some of the studies that you've done there so we mentioned already the work with the time to exhaustion how long athletes can can ride at ftp and and the conclusion there was that well if you do the protocol as originally proposed including the all the warm up and the five-minute all-out before the 20-minute test then it works quite well and it gets you in the right range where you would expect a threshold to be which is that kind of 40 to 70 minutes um, and uh, you have also tested how it compares to the lactate and ventilatory thresholds so uh, so can you can you talk about that like what did you find when you did that comparison
1: yeah like uh, to differentiate here between ventilatory and lactate thresholds it's uh, ftp as determined by the Allen and Kogan test, uh, correlates quite well with the second ventilatory threshold and also the respiratory compensation point. Which doesn't mean that it is equal; it just correlates. So, if one increases, the other increases of, uh, also. Mm. Okay, but uh, both of the thresholds, ventilatory thresholds, are located uh, a little bit above. Okay, the yeah. FTP. FT- FTP is located more or less at the same intensities as maximal lactate stable state, okay? Mm. And also uh, lactate thresholds tested uh, through different methods, such as uh, modified DMAX test, for example. But still, I will will stay with this uh, maximal lactate stable state, which is quite common and and well understood, okay? And if if you uh, try to research papers that have tested the time-to-exhaustion at at the maximum lactate stable state, you will find that the time-to-exhaustion is quite similar to what we have found for the FTP. Okay, yeah. so I think that that's quite a good marker of sustainable performance because when you test the time to exhaustion at the respiratory co- compensation point, for example, you will find that it's like twenty to twenty-five minutes. Yeah. So it's like that's thats not a sustainable performance for me. Okay.
0: Yeah. And and here here I think this is this is really important information actually, and and this is one other one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you when I when I found your papers that. When when you go to a lab and you do a test with a metabolic cart, you put on the mask and you measure your VO2 max and everything and your ventilatory thresholds, uh, maybe your fat and carb oxidation, all those sorts of fancy things, then your the researchers will give you a report uh, or the, the lab technicians will give you a report with your thresholds and your VO2 max and your maximum heart rate but the thing that i see almost in every single case with those tests is that it's just if you try to follow those thresholds and those training zones it's just rubbish and you're going to train like it's going to be a disaster basically because here as you say the uh, if, if the 20-25 the tw- minutes or something like that was the time to exhaustion at the respiratory compensation point so that kind of what we might call thresholds colloquially, then that's that's just something that is not at all sustainable. And then you try to do intervals there, there a couple of times per week. And of course, it's going to be be really, really hard versus then something that you can hold for 40 to 70 minutes. And maximum lactate steady state is probably the one of the few, the, the only definitional threshold that that science can agree on. Like, okay, this is exactly what the definition should be compared to even things like DMAX or uh four millimoles or all the different Mm -hmm. different markers we have for lactate thresholds so i I think that that's a really good a really good thing for ftp uh to be to be so similar to to maximum lactate steady state and uh and again as you pointed out correlation is not the same as being the same so in the papers you will calculate something that um you you'll basically say like how how even if it correlates well but it's still different so so it's it's going to be below those Margaret. So my my point to with all of this with this little uh, rant to the listeners is if if you go to a lab, uh, I the only time that I want my athletes to go to a lab to do a test with a metabolic cart would be if I want to know their VO2 max and if I want to know their training zones, I would I would prescribe them for more of a, a lactate test, like a let's say five minute stages, and you do a lactate test or an FTP test or a critical power test, something something like that, because I think that you can't really get the training zones from a, a, a from from that vo2 max test if you want to call it that with the metabolic card would you agree with that
1: yeah completely i think that uh, vo2 max as a marker for the prescription of training is rubbish uh, you know you, you cannot prescribe a training as a percentage of vo2 max uh, i i do find vo2 max interesting for for talent detection okay so yep. For example, it's it's it. It has been known. This has been known for a long time. If if you are testing, you know, uh, young adults, uh, you know, junior riders, etc., you need to find values of of seventy or above in VO two max. If you you know you know you you need a winner, and there are several other factors which are. I'm talking here about road cycling, okay? And male are, male, male there,
0: road cyclists.
1: Male road cyclists, yeah. Uh, there are, of course, uh, several other factors which, you know, are super important, but this is like a standard value. So if you, if you are under that, let's take a look at the other values, but mm, it, it doesn't look very good for you. Okay. So, you know, uh, the fact is that currently we can estimate quite well a view to max with power output. For example, during five-minute uh, intervals. So, uh, with this information, you can go to, you know, like a, a third-world place in which the you have you don't have a laboratory, and you can uh, just with with a power meter, which can be paired to your pedals, you can do a nice job doing a talent selection, for example.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's another study you did. So co- uh, correlating the five five-minute maximum power with with VO two max. So. Uh, we will link to that study in the show notes and in the abstract already you can see the equation so listeners can go and have a look and you can do a five-minute power test and then you can calculate well what is your estimated VO2 max the one thing that that you can't see uh, in the paper because it wasn't open access is what is the what is the error so can you talk a bit more about what is the the, the error or the variance between individuals with how how accurate that test is
1: yeah the, the problem with the with this test in our study was that we wanted to test across all uh, performance uh, levels. Mm. So you need like a very stable sample size, okay? So you need twelve athletes of this level, twelve of the the other one, etc. So the sample size was quite reduced. I think it was like uh, fifty subjects, more or less forty six, something like that. I don't remember exactly. So with this, we we found the formula quite accurate, but of course it will be improved if you you know test like 200 cyclists. But of course it's very difficult to to find like 30 top level cyclists for your sample to to go to your laboratory and perform testing etc. No? So the accuracy was like uh, plus minus five milliliters per kilo per of weight, something like that. Yeah. Which which may seem which which may seem a lot. Yeah, you you say okay that that's a lot, but when we tested it in the laboratory, it was it reflected super well? Eh? The five minute power output reflected super well what we found in the incremental test. Right. So so even from the from the statistical point of view, it may seem a lot like oh my god that's that's useless. It, it is not okay. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, that's interesting. And uh, what one other thing about VO two max is that uh, in addition to talent detection. Uh, Another scenario where it can be useful is maybe you want to know if you try to work on VO two max. Well, did you actually you do a VO two max block? Did did it actually improve? But uh, what 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 I find there is that well you you don't well you don't need to know what the VO two max is. You just need to know if you improved. So you can do the five minute test before and after. What I do quite often is do a ramp test uh, because now Swift and for example use a ramp test to to calculate FTP, which I think is not good, but it's re- great to see changes in, in VO2max. That's something that another guest on the podcast talked about before, Michael Rosenblatt, has done some some work there, and uh, and, and I think yeah, changes in, for example, the, the ramp test output can be really well reflective of all changes in, in VO2max as well, so so that's another tip.
1: Yeah, the problem with ramp test and uh, VO2max testing, and I have seen this a lot in the lab, is that uh, you almost always don't obtain the true VO2 max value, okay? Mm. so And this can be performed in the lab uh, quite easily. If you perform a lab test, uh, incremental lab test, I don't care about the duration. Uh, If you end up um, in the stage, whichever you want, you you leave uh, a little bit of rest. And after that, you set up another stage, which is a little bit harder than the last one. Normally, this is called a supra-maximal verification phase. Okay, mm. you will see a value that it's, that is higher than what you obtained in the last stage of the of the incremental. Yeah. So what I'm telling you here is that uh, all the previous work you are you have performed during the incremental test before the last stages uh, is generating a fat a fatigue that may, you know. Uh, be a confounding factor in the VO2 slow component, and in the end, reflects as a lower than expected value of VO2 max. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. I with with uh, when you do an incremental test, uh, I've I've heard. Is it correct me if I'm wrong, but like you want it to, you want to reach exhaustion within 12 minutes usually. Uh, that's that's a number that I've heard. So basically, you need to plan your your ramp rate and your starting power accordingly. So that's, for example, what I do. If I have athletes that that I want to do a, a ramp test, I don't tell them to do the Swift ramp test, but I plan it according to the athlete's level, and I always set the ramp rate to be twenty five watts increase every minute, which is co- a common one that you see in labs. But but there are in some labs they will do fifteen watts per minute or even ten watts per minute, and 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 that's often those longer tests where you where you don't end up reaching VO two max because you fatigue too much, so you can't quite reach it.
1: Yeah, from, from what science has to say, I, I would say that if you want to test VO2 max, the shorter the test, the better. And if you want to test thresholds, which I would not recommend with an incremental test, but yeah. people still do it anyways, the longer the test, the better.
0: Yeah, I think that's a situation probably where labs need to need to make their test valuable. So that's why they give the report with the the, the thresholds and the zones from the incremental test, so that athletes feel like they get value from it but in the end it it hurts more than it than it helps
1: but i think that that kind of testing i think it's it's outdated and you know it's
0: yes yeah. in a few in a few years
1: time it will be you know nobody will perform it
0: yeah so so what is so when you work with an athlete uh let's say it's a it's an amateur athlete but it's somebody with with some ambitious goals they want to like do some races and and try to maybe place well and and so on and improve their ftp and and what have you get faster in general what what are the what what what, what are the tests that you do with yeah, t- talk, us, t- talk to us about about the testing that you would recommend for the athlete.
1: Okay, uh, so before starting, I will I will perform uh, anthropometric tests just to see the body composition because that will direct the training of the next months. Imagine that you have some uh, body fat to lose; that will be an important factor to take into account during the first months. Okay, uh, carbohydrate and fat oxidation rates. Are interesting to test for, uh, also for the first months because that you know gives you an intensity at which you know you, you can uh, uh, improve those values, which may be important in the first in the in the first months. And the last th- last thing I would test for in the laboratory nowadays would be the gross efficiency. Okay, so the the work rate at which you uh, are using an exact amount of oxygen. Okay, mm. th- those are the values that may be interesting. Uh, in the lab for the rest if you want to uh, lactate test
0: and so, so sorry sorry so for the for those tests first uh fat oxidation and carboxidation and gross efficiency what is the testing protocol that you would use for those tests
1: for those tests i will i will use an ram protocol with super uh, long steps we're okay. talking here about we are talking here seven minutes even mm-hmm. for each for each for each uh, stage okay
0: okay Yeah, and and then, sorry, you were going to say... uh... Yeah, lactate, for example.
1: Uh, I'm not a super fan of lactate. It's another internal metric like like heart rate, so it varies a lot according to nutrition, blah, blah, blah. But still, I would test lactate like three times per year for an amateur athlete. So the first time would be just before starting, okay? Uh, The second time would be after the preparation uh, phase, to see if everything went as planned and before the first competitions, even if they are preparatory. And the last one just before the most important competition of the training year. Okay. Mm. But I, as I told you, I'm not super fan of lactate testing. And uh, uh, of course, power test for all, an entire power curve. Okay. Okay. Mm you you may you may obtain that with preparatory competitions so you if you are you know like uh, doing some some competitions you don't even need to test and the last one which is not super talk about but i think that's very important is in order to monitor fatigue the relationship between power output and uh, subjective perception of effort okay mm-hmm. so we are talking here about uh, here we are talking about tests that are normally under threshold and you are monitoring with the Borg scare scale to see whether you know he's where she where he should be. So, for example, I prescribe like a short, just under threshold interval for the first five ten minutes uh, after the warm up. And if the rate of perceived exertion is where it should be, then that athlete is allowed to perform the rest of the intervals. If not, he just you know do like a Zone two and go home.
0: Mm, yeah, got it, and. Uh- what about if an athlete is self-coached uh what would you a typical self-coached athlete they are interested and they listen to some podcasts and read some stuff but but they're not uh you know a researcher and they don't have like a extensive knowledge they they don't have uh, they're not a coach either what what are the things that you would recommend they do like would would you recommend for them to keep things more simple than than doing all the tests that that you would have an athlete do
1: yeah for sure i In the end, we should acknowledge that most of the stuff we are doing in the training world are not science-based or not super science-based. So in the end, you are working with just experience. It may be a very good experience, but still experience. As the athlete won't have access to that kind of experience that a a long-lasting coach has, I will keep things super simple, uh, just test um, the most important power outputs, which would be, for me, for example, one minute, five minutes, uh, 20 minutes, also if you are doing criteriums or stuff like that, five seconds, for example. With that, you can use uh, the five-minute test um, to assess your VO2 max, the 20-minute test, as I have explained previously, to assess your FTP, and um, with that, you can you know um, train properly.
0: Yeah yeah definitely. Yeah I think it makes a lot of sense to uh, as well uh, learn, like learn to learn to do the basics really well before you before you start to add some more bells and whistles uh then because there's usually a lot of things that you can do better and and this is something that I come back to often as a coach as well like before starting to think about like the newest or the more advanced things like well is there some basic things that i'm still not that i still can improve with basically i think i think that's that's always a good question to ask yourself no matter what you're doing um and uh let's get into some some training concepts and, and training questions um, what is your what are your general thoughts around volume and intensity and how to get the right balance between those
1: yeah uh, we are always talking Uh, lots of stuff about this these two topics Uh, it goes by trends for example now it seems that on the internet we are talking more about volume than intensity Uh, zone two training volume is super important for me in my experience uh, uh, it really is a fact of what's about your availability and your goals okay so that two factors will mark everything you do with with this combination of volume and intensity so if you are planning to do an, an ironman for example then of course uh, my opinion should, your training should be based more around volume than intensity because in the end you will perform lots of hours at a very low intensities but if you are doing instead uh, like short road races or criteriums in in these cases and especially if you have not a lot of time it will be more interesting to invest in intensity than volume
0: mm, yeah and what is the variation there like do you have athletes with we talk there's there's a lot another trend is the whole 80 <laughs> 20 number uh but I'm, I'm sure that you don't really follow follow that number but do you have athletes that are more like 50 50 or like that is there a big variation basically
1: yeah, in order to explain the variation, I can tell you that, for example, a road cyclist, a pro, pro road cyclist, is it, it could be quite close to that eighty twenty number. Eh? Uh, so eighty percent of the time, you know, like, like a very easy work, but that's just because they perform lots and lots of hours uh, weekly. For example, we are talking about twenty five to thirty hours weekly. So imagine that out of these thirty hours, like. 40% was intensity it it will be impossible to recover from that okay mm. so it, so that that number is reduced to that just because of, of this factor okay but i ha- i have also like amateur athletes who have like 7 8 hours per week and in those cases yes we are talking about 50 50 probably
0: mm. yeah what is let's say let's say that you have a a cyclist with 7 hours to train what what would a typical training week look like for them? Can you discuss like how many rides would it be? Would it be four rides during the week and or three rides during the week and two on the weekend and and would and which ones would have intensity? And can you just give an example of what that might look like?
1: I, it depends a lot on the, the availability of each athlete. But if I, I could choose the disposition of these eight hours,
0: mm.
1: I would prefer to have uh, like two sessions weekly, for example, Tuesday and Thursday. With lots of intervals and then leave a four hour ride for the weekend with just easy spinning.
0: So so that would be only three rides, but uh Yeah, yeah. Okay. So so two hours on Tuesday, two hours on Thursdays, intervals in both of them, and then four hours easy on the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Uh and uh what about periodization? How how do you think about periodization? <laughs>
1: Yeah, periodization comes from originally, I think, from Matveyev, which was a Russian guy who took this concept from soci- sociology studies. But in the end, and this is, you know, uh, we we are talking uh, uh, lots about this stuff in in current uh, science. The fact is that we we don't have uh, any scientific evidence to support that. Uh, uh, any kind of periodization nowadays works better than the other. There have been lots of uh, lots of studies regarding training intensity distributions, which are, I, we have also seen that in general, even if you prefer volume or uh, intensity, in the end, it results in the same more or less results. But as for periodization, we don't have any studies to you know to rely on. So it's a matter of experience. I don't like to to think lots in the long term because in the end you will always find uh, stuff that uh, occurs for example uh, injuries uh, uh, the athlete gets sick so from what you have planned in september to what's finally done in june uh, it has nothing to do okay so Mm -hmm. for me planning in the very long term has has zero sense Uh, the fact is you need to know what is your objective so for example I know I'm doing this Ironman you need to know what do you need to perform in this Ironman and you start with the most with what which uh, what, what is most broad to the most uh, digamos specific no
0: mm. yeah yeah no that that makes total sense and uh, it's quite, very similar to how, how I would think about it uh, as well um, and recovery I mean we we yeah well how how do you let's let's be more specific than just recovery because uh, i think with, with recovery most people say oh sleep and nutrition is super important of course yeah, that that is one thing but but with recovery within the training program so um how do you have like a specific format that you like to give two or three harder weeks and one easy week or like how do you bake recovery into the yeah. program
1: I I would like to highlight one specific factor just before starting with the training part, which is for any amateur athlete, the most important factor affecting recovery and the outcome of the training program will be uh, their own work, what they are doing outside training. So if you have a very physical job, for example, then you are in trouble. Okay. And, and that's it because you are, you are performing like the training load of a pro athlete. But in the end, what will transfer to, to your performance will be just half of that. Okay. Mm. Because the rest is uh, just fatigue that accumulates during your job. So this is a very important factor that should be taken into account in every single program that are proposed, that is proposed to, to an amateur athlete. And starting with the, with the training factors. I don't have any specific uh, structure because it depends a lot of... In amateur athletes, it depends uh, on the job they have. And in pro athletes, it depends also on the specific goal they have. So I have like athletes who perform three hard weeks and then one rest week. But then I have athletes also that perform like uh, almost... <laughs> six uh, high intensity sessions per week for example i have i have an athlete who who races in criteriums who has like 6 hours per week for for training one hour uh, each day uh, in the turbo trainer and mm-hmm. <laughs> i would say it's like 80% of intensity for him eh? so and, and no rest days because if if we start uh, training 6 hours uh, per week with one hour each day, and we also want to incorporate total rest days, uh, and we are going nowhere. So it depends a lot on the individual. So I have no specific structures, but uh, but as I told you earlier, I like to to test a little bit at the uh, at the start of each important session whether the RPE and, and power output are where they should be mm. in order to.
0: So is, know, is it continue is, or not? Is, is that like a Lambert cycling test or or something? Something similar when when you when you say that you test the RPE and the power output.
1: Yeah, it, it depends on the session. So, for example, if you are if you are going to do like VO two max intervals, imagine that you have um, four intervals of three minutes. I will just incorporate um, after the warm up like uh, one interval of one minute at this intensity, mm. and uh, test whether the RPE should be, um, uh, you know. Uh, you you should say okay it's it's 7 or 8 it's it's been just 1 minute so it should be okay if i want to be in the in the 10 scale at the end of the 3 minute interval okay yeah. and if and if the athlete uh, sees that it's it's like a 10 after the minute and say okay today is not the day yeah
0: Okay, um, so g- going back to that example of the athlete with six hours week to train, I think this is really interesting. Lots of I- listeners are, are thinking about this right now because a, a lot of people would say that, uh, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but, but pe- some people would say that, well, that that if, even if you have six hours to train, like you can't train like that. You will overtrain if you just do intervals, but it sounds like it's working for him. So c- can you just comment on, on that a little bit?
1: Well, I think this is, a very specific case because we are talking about a guy who races in criteriums as i told you so these are like uh, neuromuscular intervals super short super intense but in the end uh, it's quite reasonable to to recover from day uh, from them from one day to the other eh? mm-hmm. okay so, we are talking uh, about
0: yeah. so what 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 type of workouts uh what what would the a typical workout look like for him
1: uh you have like Mm, well, uh, we are talking here about criteria. So, for example, you, you need to uh, do two things. First, increase your neuromuscular power. So, when you are fresh, your power output at this short duration, this acceleration, you, accelerations you have in the corners, for example. Mm. And then, and this is also very important, uh, the fatigue. Okay, so the, the work you can perform after fatigue. So, uh, the one who wins the criterium is not the one who has the fastest sprint but who has the fastest sprint after one hour of sprinting okay yeah. so so this will recreate what he will find during competitions
0: mm, okay um got it and uh within a week if you have an athlete that has let's say a, a higher volume athlete especially like say 15 hours or more do you have like any typical do you like to incorporate a rest day a full rest day and then have higher load on the other days or do you do you like to keep keep a bit of work on every day or any any particular preferences there with the recovery within a micro cycle
1: uh, well it again it depends a lot of the object on the objective okay uh, but for sure if we are talking here about 15 hours per week uh, then for sure he will have at least one probably two rest day- days per week okay and Imagine that you you know you are planning to race uh, I don't know like a cycling sportive which is a six hour uh, long. It's it's very interesting also to look for muscular adaptations that occur just after fatigue. So for example, you will have a hard uh, interval session on Saturday and then a four hour uh, zone two ride on on Sunday, for example. And it's, it's very important to perform this session under fatigue from the re- from the previous day. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um then I want to ask a little bit about uh when when you have worked in triathlon and, and also trail running, but especially triathlon and, and when you compare that to road cycling, can you talk a bit about the the differences like what, what are the, of course they're both endurance sports, so there are some similarities, uh some big similarities between them, but but what are some differences that you would say exist between road cycling and triathlon in particular?
1: Yeah, I think that There are like two main differences between these sports. As for the trial running, you have this eccentric uh, component, which generates lots of fatigue. And also you have impact. This means you will have higher rates of injuries. You need to be very careful about the volume you can perform uh while running so for example for this kind of of athletes it's very important to add cycling to their workouts because Mm. in the end you can perform lots of easy easy stuff on the bike also yeah and if you reduce the time you spend running especially in this kind of terrain which has lots of downhills which are you know quite eccentric uh it will reduce the risk of injury and as for the triathlon uh, there's, there's one specific thing which is the swimming part which is in my opinion counterproductive to the other two sports so when you are working in the swimming pool you are in some cases producing uh, adaptations that are against what you would expect to perform better uh, while running or 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 on the bike no so if, you need to to know when to pr- prioritize uh, swimming during the why
0: why the, do you, the why, do, why do you think those what 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 are the counterproductive adaptations that you think exist yeah
1: and swimming compared to the other two activities you are uh, uh, executing the uh, muscular force under let's say no gravity conditions okay so this is a kind of uh, it's completely different to what you find in the, in the in the muscular contractions that are part of cycling or running. And especially you are, you are training your upper body uh, Mm -hmm. in a way that is completely nonsensical for running or or cycling.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. So, and, and other than, so, so, so basically what you were saying is that how, how do you balance the swimming versus the bike and the run then in triathlon? Yeah. What, so, yeah. so, so, what is so? What is your solution to to that? Like, if or what is, or what are what are your thoughts on how to how to balance those disciplines?
1: Well, uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not the the most experienced guy here uh, regarding swimming. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm also not a super fan of swimming anyway. But uh, I like to look at the great picture and say, okay, during an Ironman, for example, uh, the most part. Uh, the most time you is spent while running and while cycling. Okay, so the the best increments in performance can be found there. So when when you ask me what should I prioritize, I will always tell you the bike and running uh, against swimming. Mm-hmm. So let's say that the time you spend at the swimming pool will not reflect in time uh, margins as good as the time invested while cycling or running.
0: Okay? Yeah. Yeah, um, and are there any things that you think that in general road cyclists could learn from triathletes or vice versa, triathletes could learn from road cyclists?
1: Well, here I think that um, road cycling is um, all, an older sport than the other two, okay? So we have like more experience in, uh, a more specific uh, training programs here because in the end with with the apparition of, of power meters of mobile power meters uh, it's quite easy to monitor uh, especially performance in in road cycling which is not the case in 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 triathlon specifically with mm-hmm. swimming and also trail running well we have seen uh, power meters for running like stride I have yet to see whether they are reliable or not because uh, we have seen some reported figures of 3% reliability for stride, but that's not independent testing. Uh, But still, I think that it's quite easier to monitor performance in cycling than in the other two sports. Uh, I think that runners uh, should learn uh, to rest a little bit more uh, from, from the other sports because in The end, it's like the rates of injuries we, ha- we are seeing in try running are exceptional, it's uh, they are super high, and spe- specifically for people who have started to run like one year ago and they are already running for 50 kilometers in the mountains after one year, which is terrible. And uh, I think that uh, triathletes, in general, from what I have seen, tend to do too much intensity work uh, given we are talking here about um, olympic distance or ironmans they should prioritize much more volume uh, against intensity okay from what i have seen mm.
0: yeah uh, what about and uh, what is there anything that you see that cyclists could learn from triathletes or from trail runners
1: yeah, I think the the part of uh, improvisation. So in you know as we have everything super controlled in road cycling, when something goes to ga- goes against the plan during a training session the, the the cyclist is like oh my god it's terrible. But uh, for example when you go trail running and you want to perform an interval eh uh, some some days you will find that it's just uh, the terrain t- doesn't allow you to to do it as as good as you would like to, and it's okay. It's, it happens and it happens every day, and it's not it's n- normalized during the training session, which is yeah. not the case with the cyclists. So if a cyclist doesn't perform the interval as for the power output requested, it's like a terrible for him. You know.
0: I think I think triathletes can also learn that from trail runners for sure. <laughs> I think it's the exact same thing with triathletes. Um, Uh, one other training topic that i want to get into that i know you you wrote about on your blog is about torque training what are your thoughts about that
1: well uh, during the last two to three years uh, there are you know several uh, relevant sports scientists who are talking lots about the supposed benefits of this kind of training i have yet to see the you know, strong scientific evidence to support this uh, this fact. I have not seen it. Uh, In my experience, um, you have to be very careful with this kind of intervals because uh, they can produce several kinds of injuries, such as uh, uh, a return of pain in Osgood-Schlatter disease or all kinds of patellar problems, Okay. Uh, and also, in my experience, I have seen very little benefit in general. I have seen some, some improvements in gross efficiency, especially in high-level cyclists and pro cyclists. But uh, it's very difficult you know, to, to say that it, this is due to torque work because in the end, yeah, I have improved more than last year. But uh, this is because I have incorporated this kind of work or just a coincidence okay so it's very difficult to to monitor these changes and say okay this is because of that mm. so i will be very careful with these assumptions and would say at at least be very careful and take into account the risks and the possible benefits if you are going to incorporate that kind of session because in the end they are also very uh, very fatiguing from a muscular point of view okay so uh, if you perform this kind of intervals uh the next day you will be pro- probably completely worn out okay
0: mm. when when you refer to like some like scientists that have written about it or talked about it who is it in case people want to go and read more uh f- about that through the refer- yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking
1: here about the responsibles of performance from the UIA t- uh, team yeah. from Pogacar's team. Yeah, yeah. So they are they are they are talking lots of of good stuff about this training, which I I, I do believe that uh, the, it works for them. But I, you know, as always, I want to see the the evidence. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Jerome Swartz and uh, John Wakefield, uh, I believe. Yeah, uh, mostly. Yeah, that's what I thought. And uh, yeah, they are available on Twitter, so people can go and have a yeah I read that's what they're saying and they have some blogs as well um, I, one one more question on torque uh, when when you have implemented in implemented it in the training of your athletes, have you tried like different durations and intensities like everything from really high intensity like one minute two minute efforts 30 second efforts to 20 minute tempo efforts or or is there have you tried one particular type and uh, what what is your experience there?
1: yeah I have uh, I have tried the type of intervals that are being talked about on social media, mm-hmm. so we are talking here about eight times four. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay uh, got it. And uh, now moving on a bit to some scientific uh, questions. if you could uh, if you could wish for one to three areas within sports science that there would be more research done, what would those areas or those topics be?
1: Well, I think in the first place will be uh, female elite performance because most of the studies are being performed on men, which is a pity. Because in the end, uh, we do want women to take part in the sport and, of course, in elite sport. And if we do not have evidence that supports how training works for them, it's very, it's you know it's uh, adds a little bit of uh, improvisation to the training programs that we can propose, and it, that's a pity. So I think that we we all scientists should, you know, try to to incorporate uh, women into the sample size, into, into the samples in the studies, which is which is not easy because uh, it's very difficult to recruit broad samples of women in general in, in this kind of sports. Okay, but we we need to try more. Uh, afterwards, I would say doping is you know it's a topic that we should address more in scientific studies, which is also very difficult because in the uh, in the end you have an ethical committee that uh, won't allow you to perform you know uh, like uh, doping programs on on volunteers to to see the effects on doping which which i think is something that we 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 should do because in the end you are always talking about yeah the epo or or testosterone but when you try to find papers talking about the possible uh, improvements in in performance we do have some about epo but for example for testosterone it's the evidence is lacking. So, mm. yeah, we are, we are saying that, okay, you cannot use testosterone because it's uh, performance enhancing, but how much? Mm. We do not, we do not know. Okay. And that's, uh, that should be covered. And I think also uh, this is a recent topic and it's uh, being talked about a lot in the recent years. It's uh, the, the transitioning, the tra- transgender sport and whether we are talking just about the amount of testosterone, which I, uh, this topic has been reduced to that, whether we allow uh, a transgender to participate in female sport just because of the testosterone levels are uh, as of a woman or not. I think that that should be covered a little bit, a little bit more because in the end, when you are transitioning, there are lots of other stuff going on that can, you know, enhance your performance that's not, and we are not talking only about testosterone so we need yeah. to cover that also
0: yeah um and uh, what about the application of science into practice i mean in some ways we have talked about this this entire interview and you said at one point that there's not so much science or that a lot of it is kind of experience i guess but um, yeah can you talk a little bit more about how you, how you feel about applying science into practice
1: Yeah, the problem with science is that it's performed under a controlled environment. So imagine that you perform a study on volunteers, and you know that during the eight weeks of duration of the study, these volunteers are doing nothing but training, okay? So you know that you will set up a training session with this kind of intervals for Monday, and then this kind of intervals for for Wednesday. Uh, the athlete will be rested and pre- well prepared for the training but this is not what you find in the real world so if you want to extrapolate that to what you will find in the real world yeah the athlete will perform the intervals of monday but we, he will have a lot of work for example going on on tuesday he will be super fatigued and he won't be able to to complete the intervals of uh, you you have programmed for for wednesday you No, know? and it, that means that the program proposed by science doesn't work no it's just you know, you have changed the context. You no, know? mm-hmm. so, so that that's the part in which the experience of the coach is very important to say, okay, yeah, that's what I have read in the study, but is this applicable to this the context of this this athlete?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Any other challenges uh, than the context or anything else on this question?
1: I think that uh, currently we have uh, like big big trouble to translate the scientific results to the practical field because yeah you can perform scientific studies but you also need people who can interpret them and uh, you know translate these results to to the coaching field so for many coaches it is difficult to understand PubMed and you know all the all the science the statistics etc so I there have been like several platforms that uh, have started uh, publishing results of studies in the in the last months on instagram twitter etc which i found quite quite interesting uh, w- knowledge is what is one of them because in the end uh, they are like you know sharing the scientific knowledge and uh, without the complication of trying to uh, interpret all these statistical results in the studies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love those accounts. Like, knowledge is what I follow them. It's it's great. At the same time, like they do remove some of that. Uh, you don't under you don't understand the context and the control of the study if you just when you just look at an Instagram post that that just shows the highlights of the results basically from a from a study. So it's it's a bit of a Tricky, a tricky balance, basically. To like, yeah, you need to make science more accessible and more available, but at the same time, when you, when you simplify it to that degree, then you also sometimes you lose you lose a lot of the context that is still really important to to really yeah. make the best use of it.
1: I, I I agree with you, but they are working on that. For example, um, knowledge is what in particular, which is the the page I know uh I are going to release like a like a short monthly journal in mm-hmm. which six six to seven experts will comment on the studies mm-hmm. and it will be like easy to understand uh, i'm one of the editors for for this job and it will be easy to understand for the reader and easy to implement so i think that's
0: mm, a that's great. great idea yeah that's fantastic yeah, yeah. and uh what is your advice to athletes and coaches that are interested in sports science and uh, about basically how can they be one and I guess one of the things that we should say well you can follow something like knowledge is what that would be a great starting point are there any other things uh, any other tips for how athletes and coaches can be more effective in uh, learning about sports science and using it effectively in training
1: yeah uh... I will say something that it's very uh, hard to hear for for many people but the best uh, investment you can you can make in your own coaching business is to learn how to interpret uh, scientific studies. So learn about statistics, learn about sta- about science because in the end you will be able to access to information that that is very recent. Uh, understand that information and implement that information into your training practice before any other person. So this will give you like a boost, no? So yeah, it's lots of work, lots of studying, but I think that the investment is, is, is fantastic in Mm -hmm. in this case. So learn how to, how to interpret science.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what, are there any good resources for where do you recommend people start? Like if you don't have time to go and do a bachelor's and a master's degree, uh, what What would your recommendation be? Where can people learn about how to do that?
1: i i don't I don't think you need a bachelor's degree to learn how to interpret science. In fact, when you have when when you see the programs of a bachelor's degree, you will see that there's just one subject that teaches you how to interpret science, mm. okay so exactly like, mm. so uh, i will st- I will start for example, there are several interesting uh, channels on YouTube. In which they show you how uh, PubMed works. There are channels about basic statistics. I, I think that you know, it's it's a matter of several months of uh, watching these videos, hearing some podcasts, and in the end, you will have you know more knowledge that than any you know bachelor's degree student uh, on how to interpret science. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just a question of time.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, is there anything anything else that uh, that you Anything that I should have asked that I didn't ask, anything that you're interested in or passionate about within training or within science that that uh, you want to also mention for listeners?
1: Yeah, I think there's one topic I would like to cover briefly, which is the professional intrusion that uh, we are suffering in, in our profession in, in general, but specifically in the last years, because uh, many people have seen that this is a very lucrative business if you coach many athletes and we have like lots and lots of people who are coaching who have no formal education uh, you know uh, behind the behind their backs and um, even if you have lots of knowledge uh, and experience i think that uh, it's very important to also show uh, like a formal basis to all of this because in the end you are playing with the people's health okay so it's like a nutritionists physiotherapist, etc i think that we are we are seeing many people of this, this kind that in the end you know uh, if you are already you, you have already been working in in this field for 10 years you you have earned sufficient money to pay for a university degree and do it do it okay
0: hmm. yeah yeah that's fair uh, it's uh, it's an unregulated uh, like area uh, or industry so which I mean, in a way, it has positives and negatives, but definitely you you definitely see and and a lot of a lot of athletes come to for example to our business with like having had really bad experiences with with coaches. So, but and so I mean, in in one way, you could see that well, okay, that's like good. It gives more athletes to 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 other coaches in the end anyway. But but it doesn't it doesn't really work like that. It's it's really bad for the people that suffer from the consequences of uh, of <laughs> poor coaching for sure um let's move on to the rapid fire questions so take just one sentence to answer each of these and the first one is what is your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports
1: there's there's a book uh, written by asker jokendrup which is called sports nutrition and i i always like to say that uh, uh, if you want to perform you need to be properly fueled. so i think to Uh, you know uh, this is an important topic to cover and you should learn about nutrition before you start training
0: (laughs) and uh, what is an important habit that you have benefited from athletically professionally or personally
1: Uh, in general in my life waking waking up early uh, has been an excellent habit
0: and uh, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you uh here i would say louis passfield who
1: passed away quite recently mm-hmm. i had a very interesting conversation with with uh, with him and he was always willing to share his his no- scientific knowledge so that goes for him
0: yes yeah louis is a past guest on the podcast and he was very mm-hmm. sad to hear about his passing uh thoughts to him uh his family and uh friends uh and uh, finally sebastian where can people find you uh on online and on social media
1: yeah, people can find me on my website or Instagram or Twitter as Shitco Training. It was the same name for all three. Uh, all right, perfect. Websi- website and social media.
0: I'll put that in the, in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much. It's been uh, great to chat to you and looking forward to doing it again another time.
1: Okay, Michael, thank you for the invitation.
0: I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientificdriathlon.com and you can find the links that were mentioned throughout this interview. Next Monday we will have a Q&A on swim training for triathlon and this episode is already recorded by the time that you hear uh, this interview so there is no more time to send in questions for that Q&A uh, but uh, keep your ears and eyes peeled and you will hear when we announce request for questions for uh, future Q&As. Of course there will be bike and run training episodes to follow as you might have guessed so if you want to send in questions for those already then feel free and I will uh, note them down and. Keep keep them safely stored if you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals and improve your performance then consider working with one of our coaches or training plans whether you're just getting into triathlon or trying to set a new PB or qualify for a championship event or even want to race professionally, we have experience in all of those scenarios and we'd love to discuss further around if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. So you can find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk free for up to 30 days and get a special Senate plus TTS bundle, including the swim trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on demand workouts on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving crap.